I want to say way to go journey. In 2008, we stumbled into Bright Hope School, government school, 2,100 or so students, no running water on the premises, and a school staff who had a vision for feeding the community. Uh, We're talking about the poorest of the poor. The school is located in a former leper colony at the top of this little hill in Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia, and they had a vision for feeding and taking care of the poorest of the poor, providing clean water, which there wasn't much of for the community, and then also for uh, a chicken egg project, for gardens, uh, and quite an expansive vision. And because of you guys, your commitment, your financial commitment, your prayers, your going over there, a whole bunch of that stuff has come to fruition. It's all there. You saw the vegetable garden. You didn't see the chickens in this one, but they're laying, I mean, they got eggs running out their ears with all those chickens. Uh, And then that uh, well is providing water. We're about to drill another well there that'll actually enable more water to go out into that community, which is just simply fantastic. So way to go, Journey. Now, uh, if the Lord even tugs your heart a little bit to go, you should. You should go and taste it and feel it and smell it and be a part of it. Uh, And we can't take very many people on these trips at a time. Logistics in Ethiopia are incredibly challenging, and so they're limited to about 10 or so at a time. Uh, But get in. That uh, trip in very late August, very early September is going to be rolling out. You saw there. So uh, stay tuned for more about that. I think you can get information on that. Is that what it said? You can get information on it in the lobby? Yeah. Uh, So get around that and get on that next trip if you even have the slightest inclination and see what God doing over there through you, through you. You you are actually changing people's lives uh, the world over, so uh, keep that up. If you're a guest around Journey, we're particularly delighted to be with you to worship God today. Uh, It's been our prayer uh, that God would do something in this time, and uh, we're hopeful that he'll do just that. A little slice of life from the Hopkins family. It was moving weekend. Uh, It is moving weekend, moving day. Yesterday, they got our house finished up, and uh, there's nothing worse than moving. There just isn't. I'd rather have teeth extracted than move, honestly. And uh, some of you helped us with that move, and we're really grateful to you who did that, especially those of you who stayed after I had to depart yesterday to come over here to go to work. I have this little Saturday evening thing that we do around here that I needed to be here for, and some of you decided to uh, not just quit when I quit, but you kept going and got it all done, so uh, thanks. Uh, I'm sure there's a special place in heaven reserved for you guys uh, for that uh, commitment. Now, be begins this terrible work of unpacking and putting it all away. Last night I got home from uh, last night's worship experience and all I could do was sort of stand in the house and I just sort of like twirled around just looked like, oh my gosh, look at this. And Dano, she was worried about me. She was like, honey, are you okay? I was like, uh-uh, look at this. Uh, so if you're super spiritual, you can come over and just put stuff away. <laughs> just walk right in and wherever you want to put it will be better than the heaps of uh, boxes. Just a couple of things to keep you in the loop. Some things going on around the life of Journey. Next weekend, do not miss Charlie Hall. He will be here live and in the flesh. His band will all be here. He's taken the whole 75 minutes or so of all three of our weekend experiences. And I encourage you, don't just get yourself here, but bring a guest with you. Put a couple people on your arms and bring them with you. Uh, It promises to be a fantastic uh, worship event with literally one of the best in all of Christian music and worship. And so so get here for one or more of those uh, if you like to. If you're around here this winter, you know that we spent a season of time on this initiative that we called Not Without You. 
And Not Without You was a generosity initiative, right? It culminated with a few hundred of us making three-year financial commitments to a few things, debt reduction on this phase of construction, adding some desperately needed classroom space to our base camp, our classroom wing on the east end of the building, adding some much-needed parking uh, to the Commons campus, and then trying to get those soccer fields, three of them put in over on the west side of the campus. Our goal for that project was about $3.1 million. That was our aim, and our commitments to Not Without You came in about 2.3 million, 2.2 or so. So that means we just needed to scale back the plan so that we could spread that smaller amount of money around across those projects. And here's how it's uh, shaking out at present. Here in the next 10 days, maybe two weeks or so, we'll be breaking ground on about 4,000 new feet of base camp space, which is absolutely fantastic. You'll see that activity begin to crank up. We'll be adding about six classrooms, four of which open up into what we're calling a mid-sized room that will hold one to 200 folks or so for those mid-sized gatherings. We're going to add some storage space in that addition. Now, the original plan was closer to about 8,000 square feet, but we dialed that back just to fit the budget, just sort of turning it down to fit the money that we had. Because of that reduced square footage, however, we're going to have to wait we have to press the pause button on getting that daycare center in here. Part of the vision of the Not Without You initiative was a daycare, child care center, particularly targeted at single parents in our community. It is one of the great needs in our valley. We were trying to help meet that need, but with this limited space that we'll still have after that addition, uh, we're just going to have to press the pause button. Isn't the death of a vision just the postponement of the vision? You cannot operate a daycare, child care center out of too small of space. It just can't be done. And we've tried every way uh, to try to fit that in, but we just can't do it. So we're pressing pause. At the same time, we're working on that classroom wing. We'll be adding about 150 or so parking spaces. Uh, that's good news to you who show up late for the 11 o'clock. That means there'll be uh, spaces for you out there. Uh, we're going to pave about 40 more spaces. And then really the bulk of the spots that we create, they're going to be this sort of compacted, recycled, cement, asphalt mixture because we're green, because God's green, and we like recycled stuff. And, so, uh, and it'll also save us a whole pile of money a whole bunch of money that it's going to uh, save us. Now, it isn't uh, pavement necessarily, but it isn't gravel or mud either, which is a good thing, right? That stuff should serve us real well at a very reasonable cost. The soccer fields, again, we crunched the numbers all different ways, and we just couldn't fit them in. We just could not fit them in based on the pledges that we had to work with, so we're pressing pause on that, uh, unless you want to write a check. So uh, if you did that, then we'd get them in. But for now, uh, the soccer fields go on hold. And our leaders around here, our council, they think that is a great compromise plan based on the money that we've had to work with uh, that all, at the same time, still allows us to pay down a really sizable chunk of debt on this phase of construction, which is what we're doing. We're just throwing cash at that debt as fast as we can. So I want to tell you, way to go. Good job, those of you who are giving. Good job around your generosity to the Not Without You initiative. I just invite you to keep that up. Really proud of you and invite you just to keep that up. Your commitment uh, and your giving is about to have immediate impact on our ability to serve our community and our church. That 4,000 new square feet that we're building, that'll be done by Labor Day weekend. We don't give our builders much time to work around here, uh, but it will be done by Labor Day weekend. They're going to have it wrapped up for us. That's easy. That's easy. So if you're sitting there right now going like, ah, I have no idea what this whole not without you thing even is because you weren't around here this past winter. There's packets of information in the lobby on counters and over in Guest Central. You're welcome to grab one uh, and engage in that whatever level uh, of interest that you have. 
If you have questions, myself or John Oakland would be really glad to talk with you and answer uh, those for you. We love those conversations. So we've been in this quite short run of messages that we've called, Yes, I Can Hear You Now. It's been a series on prayer, and we've been talking about why we pray, how our prayer life is really reflective of our faith life. We talked about how some of us have been robbed of our faith by the enemy, the devil, Satan, and we actually need to get about reclaiming those things that the enemy has stolen from us. And one of the ways that we get about reclaiming those things from the devil is by praying to God about them. Last weekend, we talked about the power of praying fathers. It was fitting because it was Father's Day. And Dad, if you missed last weekend, I encourage you to pick up a CD in the lobby today or grab that podcast off of iTunes. I've heard lots of men talking about how that was very impactful for them. I invite you to use that if you're so inclined. And we're gonna wrap up this series today by talking about how prayer is all about loving God and him loving us. It is the essence of prayer. As a matter of fact, St. Augustine said it this way, true whole prayer is nothing but love. True whole prayer is nothing but love. It is the expression of love to God, and it is the receipt of love from God. But lots of us have quite another view of prayer, don't we? Yeah, we sort of sit here and go, oh, that's cool, some ancient monk named St. Augustine, he says that prayer is love, but these days it doesn't feel like prayer is love to me. Prayer feels like drudgery, or prayer feels boring, or prayer feels pointless, prayer feels like it doesn't change anything, prayer feels like another thing that I don't have time for. There's another thing that sort of falls off the plate. And we kind of go like, yeah, so you say it's about this love relationship with God, But at the end of the day, I already know that God loves me, and he knows that I love him. So how many times do I need to tell God that? Like, Do I just have to keep saying it over and over and over again? The answer is yes, because it is a divine love relationship. And a love relationship is a two-way street, isn't it? Richard Foster is one of my favorite authors in the realm of spiritual disciplines. He talks about how he sort of envisions the heart of God being this open wound of love. Why? Because of God's profound aching over the distance that most of us live our lives from him. The distance that most of us live our lives from him. How preoccupied we are with revving the engine of our lives at 10,000 plus RPMs day in and day in and day in and day out. With a whole bunch of conviction, Foster suggests that God spends much of his time mourning over the reality that so incredibly few of his children take time to really draw near to him. Foster talks about how God grieves over the fact that so many of we who call ourselves Christians, we've forgotten God, really. We pray to prayer once, we go to church on occasion, but most of us live our lives quite distant from God, forgetting him, sort of leaving him in the dust of our too busy lives. Foster suggests that God actually weeps over our obsession with stuff and things and much and many. We obsess over that stuff, our pile of stuff. We obsess over it more than we obsess over our God. We forget about this love relationship that we're to have with God. And Foster really bottom lines these profound insights by saying, oh, how God longs for the simple presence of us, which is most often expressed in and through prayer. Oh, how God longs for the simple presence of us with him. Now, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, at the very end of the day, that relationship is not just about Jesus saving you from this horrible place called hell. That's not even close to why. That relationship instead that you chose, that you stepped into with him, whether it was recently or a long time ago, it is a divine love affair. 
It is a divine love relationship. It is to be this enduring, continuing, growing, maturing love relationship with the great God of the universe, Yahweh. An overwhelming love, the kind that we've received from God, it invites, you could even say it demands a response from us. The kind of love that we've received from God, it demands a response. And you know what that means? That the syntax, the language of this divine love relationship, this divine love affair with God is prayer. That's the give and take of the relationship that we have with God or that we're to have with God. If you know somebody who is an effective prayer, you know somebody who is an effective lover of God. And if you know somebody who is an effective lover of God, you know an effective prayer. That's how it works. Real prayer, see, doesn't come from just us buckling down and gritting our teeth and grinding out the prayer deal. Real prayer, rather, comes from us falling in love with God again and again and again and again. Falling in love with him. It is a divine love relationship with God. God doesn't see just want us going through the motions. He doesn't just want us going to church. He doesn't just want us being a Christian in name only. He doesn't just want us spending the obligatory five minutes sort of mindlessly reading the scripture every day because we think we're supposed to. He doesn't want us just going through the motions of mouthing a few rehearsed, sort of tired, worn out prayers to him because we think we're supposed to do that. That is not a divine love relationship, not even close. As a matter of fact, that sort of sounds eerily familiar to the Jews of the Old Testament, doesn't it? If you read the Old Testament of the Bible, the Jews in the Old Testament, they were always getting crossed ways with God because God would look on them, the Jews' activity, and he would see right to their heart because he's God and he can do that. We can't, but God can. And he would see that the Jews' hearts were incredibly far from him. But they were still carrying on their religious rituals as if nothing in their lives and in their hearts was really any different. They're offering the same stale sacrifices. They're praying the same ritualistic prayers. They're pretending to be engaged in this enduring, continuing, growing, maturing love relationship with the great God of the universe, Yahweh. But that's all they were doing. They were just simply pretending. And God could see that their hearts were in no way engaged in any kind of love relationship. They're just going through the motions, just the same old thing over and over and over again. Passionless, empty, boring, worn out ritual. And the exact same thing can happen to us, can it? It can happen in our love relationship with God. It can happen in our love relationship with our spouse, our significant other. Maybe it already has. It's the same old, same old You get up at the same old time, you shut off the same old alarm clock, you walk into the same old bathroom, you look at the same old face, the same old mirror, you get into the same old shower, you dry off with the same old towel, you put on the same old clothes, and you walk down to the same old kitchen, get out the same old bowl, pour the same old cereal, eat it with the same old spoon, drink the same old coffee, read the same old paper, kiss the same old spouse. After that, you get into the same old car, drive the same old way to the same old job, sit at the same old desk, laugh at the same old jokes, the same old boss tells the same old way. You clock out at the same old time, get back in the same old car, drive down the same old street, pull into the same old garage, hug the same old kids, walk back into the same old kitchen, and sit down and eat that same old dinner. But you don't say a word about that. Finally, you walk into the same old family room, sit down in the same old recliner, watch that same old American Idol, fall asleep in that same old chair, Get up and go to the same old bed, ask the same old spouse that same old question, get the same old answer. (laughs) 
and then roll over, set the same old alarm clock, get up the next morning and do the same old thing all over again. It's just the same old, same old. God never intended for the same old, same old to be any part of our lives. Not our love relationship with our spouse, not our love relationship with our God. And what's true is that God thinks about you and me the way most grooms think about their bride. As he sang the song, Captivate Me. That's how God thinks about us. And that's how he longs for us to think about him. Captivate me. Sweep me away. Catch me up, God, in you. Not the same old, same old. I want to be in love deeply with you. And the language of that love relationship is prayer. You know that if you're a part of the church of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a follower of his, you are the betrothed of Jesus Christ himself. You are engaged to be married to Jesus Christ. We are the bride of Jesus Christ. And that means as Christ's followers, we are to be so deeply engaged in a love affair with God himself through his son, Jesus Christ, that we're swept away, that we're captivated, swept off of our feet, fully engaged. No same old, same old. And church, I don't think we make enough of our standing, the role that we play as the bride of Jesus Christ. Sure, we talk about it on occasion, but most of the time, the bride of Christ deal for us, the church, we sort of keep it on the back burner. We think it's sort of a someday coming kind of thing, esoteric book of Revelation deal. But honestly, church, if we who are married, if we expressed our love to our spouse as poorly as we express our love to Jesus, most of us would not be married today, would we? And in all candor, if we expressed our love to our significant other as we express our love to Jesus, most of us have never even gotten married. The relationship would have never progressed to even get to the marriage altar. The love relationship is supposed to be a two-way street. It's a give-and-take deal. Both, both parties in the business of giving and receiving love. That's what it takes for a relationship to progress, to develop, whether you're married or whether you're engaged or whether you're dating, whether you hope to be married someday. It's a two-way street. It's a give-and-take for a relationship to thrive and survive. But we don't think that way about our relationship with God. We think it's a pray a prayer and I'm out. Pray a prayer and I'm in. Ah, it's God. Ah, it's Jesus. He loves me no matter what, right? I don't owe him anything, Hopkins. I don't have to return his affection. It's all about grace. It's not about works. It's not about what I do. It's about him. He knows I love him. I've got a Jesus fish on my car after all. All the while, as Foster says, the heart of God exists as an open wound of love. Because of God's profound ache over the distance that most of us live our lives from him. We call ourselves a Christian. But we're not engaged in developing a love relationship with God. We're just going through the motions much of the time. And so you see, church, I want you to know today that you are the bride of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. You are to be engaged in an ongoing, developing, enduring love relationship with the God of the universe because we are engaged to be married to Jesus. We are engaged to be married to Jesus. 
And so what we're going to do together for the rest of the time that we have remaining is we're going to parallel a New Testament wedding. And we're actually going to see how a New Testament wedding evolved and developed to the point of marriage and how that parallels this divine love relationship that we're supposed to have with God. See, a wedding in the New Testament, for example, did you know that the groom's father was responsible for the selection of the bride? It was up to him. Imagine sons giving your dad that much passport in your life. Heck no. Heck no. And in just the same way, do you know that God, the Father, the Father of Jesus Christ, he chose you, every single one of you, me, to be part of his church, to be part of the bride to whom his son Jesus is engaged to and one day will be married to, John 15, 16. This is Jesus talking. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I anointed you to go. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. That means stuff that's eternal. It isn't just about accumulating a pile of stuff that moths can eat and rust can destroy and thieves can break in and steal. I appointed you to go and produce lasting, eternal, forever spiritual fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And I know that lots and lots of us in a room like this, we sit here and we go, you know, that's nice of you to say that God chose me, but I'm not good enough. I am entirely inadequate. Brian, you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea where I've been. You have no idea what I've been about. I'm certainly disqualified from being chosen by God. Certainly. There couldn't be anything further from the truth, folks. There couldn't be anything further from the truth. You were chosen. You were chosen by God. No matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, where you've come from, you have been specially and entirely selected and chosen by God to be united to his son Jesus as his bride. You are incredibly privileged. And continuing the wedding analogy, in New Testament times, once the bride had been chosen, the very next step would be to determine the bride price, the mohar, as it's called. And you see, the greater the price the groom's father paid, the greater the value, of course, that was placed on the bride. So look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You who follow Jesus Christ, your body, your physical body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. That means that you do not belong to yourself. Why? For God has bought you, church, with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. And not only did God buy you with a, quote, high price, he bought you by paying the ultimate price, the very death of the groom himself, Jesus Christ. So don't talk to me about not being worth God's choice. Don't talk to me about not being worth Jesus dying for. He did for you. No matter what you did, no matter where you've been, he did it for you. He chose you. And you think about the value that God must ascribe to you to pay that kind of price. Think about your value. Inestimable worth. Inestimable worth. 
And continuing the wedding analogy in New Testament times, once that bride price or the mohar had been chosen, the very next step would have been to solidify the engagement contract, talking about gifts for the bride. See, in a Jewish wedding, once the price had been set for the bride's hand in marriage, there was this very formal contract that was drawn up. It listed the promises of gifts that the bride would receive. Once the bride gave her consent to that agreement, they would have drank a cup of wine to seal the deal and set her apart. Sound familiar? Church, you're set apart. And only after that wine had been drunk and the contract presented to the bride, that way she could hold the groom to the promises. Once all that had happened, the deal was finalized. It was a done deal. And church, you think about the gifts that we, the bride of Christ, are promised when we're in relationship with him. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. To one person, this is you, (laughs) some of you. To one person, the spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, this is some of you. The same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same spirit gives great faith to another. That's you. And to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. That is some of you. And you read Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, and you round out all the gifts that God promises us as Jesus' bride. And our contract, do you know what it is? It's actually printed. And it is the Bible. It is the word of God. That is our contract with him. And so once all that was completed then, the bride was formally engaged, formally engaged. And once she was formally engaged, once all that was sealed up, she would then take a ritual bath in the cleansing water, which is the very same way that us, the church, the bride of Jesus Christ, that Jesus asks of us that we participate in the sacrament of baptism. That's the outward expression of this inward transformation that's taken place in your life as the result of your faith in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, right after this gathering, we're gonna baptize some people. Right out those doors, we got ourselves a hot tub. It's set up out there, plugged in, all warmed up and everything. It's real cool. Don't try to use it. We keep it cold during the week because, you know, we don't want loitering in the hot tub. (laughs) And we're gonna celebrate right after this gathering folks who are taking that step of faith and expression of commitment to Jesus. Some of you, I dare say, you need to take that exact same step of faith. You need to be baptized. You haven't been yet. You've been a Christian for some time now, and it's time for you to be baptized. We're not going to do it today, but we'll do it another day. You just tell us. Use that card, and you tell us, I need to be baptized, and we'll schedule another one, and we'll warm the hot tub back up, and we'll dunk you. And then point number five, check this out. The groom prepares his wedding chamber. That's Jesus. The groom, Jesus, prepares his wedding chamber, and we await his return. That's us, church. We're awaiting his return, aren't we? In New Testament times, once the groom was engaged, he would go to his dad's house and he would build a new room onto his father. I hope he's handy because he has to build a room onto his father's house for him and his bride. So it can't like be a shanty. It has to be like a good, nice room. And once that little love nest was all buttoned up, the groom's father would tell the son, look at the standing that they give fathers in New Testament times in Jewish wedding standing the groom's father would decide when it was time for his son to go and bring his bride back to that love nest i guess the dad is quality control yep that passes muster son go get her (laughs) and once his father would give him the go-ahead the groom would take a shofar it's a ram's horn and he would blow it and he would walk into the town of his bride and he would bring her home to the room that he had so diligently prepared for them And isn't that a remarkable parallel to Jesus' teaching, John 14, starting in verse 1? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. 
If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Bride. Church. And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And Paul speaks into it. Here's what it's kind of going to Here's how it's going to go down, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with a trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. And oh, what a day that will be when the groom returns and calls his bride, us, the church, home. And then Jesus speaks again, Matthew 25. So you too must keep watch. That's our job, church. Keep watch. For you do not know the day or hour of my return. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet him? And no one except the Father knows when Jesus, our groom, is coming back to get us, his bride, not even Harold Camping. And in a New Testament wedding scenario, when the groom fetched his bride, that was the finalization of the wedding. The wedding was finalized and they would return to the groom's father's house, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. It is a divine love relationship with the God of the universe. It isn't stale. It is not the same old, same old. How do you develop a love relationship, a love affair with your significant other, with your spouse? How do you develop it? You communicate. Prayer is the language of that divine love relationship. We communicate with God. We sit at his feet. We hear from him. We pour our heart out to him. We let him pour his heart out to us. And very often in the New Testament wedding scenario, a crown would have been placed on the head of the bride for this sort of final wedding ceremony. 1 Peter 5, 4 speaks to this. And when the great shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive a crown of never-ending, the crown, see it? Never-ending glory and honor. And from that ceremony, all of the guests and the family and, of course, the bride and groom, they would then engage in the wedding supper, the wedding feast of the Lamb, as it's called. Revelation 19, starting in verse 6. Then I heard again what sounded like a shout of a vast crowd, the roar of mighty ocean waves, the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride, that's us, church, has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. In Revelation 3.20, look, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. It is a divine love relationship with God the language of the divine love relationship with God is prayer. It's how the relationship develops. It's how the relationship progresses. And the reality, church, is that Jesus invites us to dine with him, to be with him forever. But forever isn't like someday. Forever starts right here. Forever starts right now. It isn't just a someday in heaven kind of deal after this life is past. He loves you and he loves me. He loves us so much that he went to all those lengths, all the way to the cross to enable us to be his bride. I know how he longs for us to take 
our foot off of the accelerator of our lives and bask in him and to drink in him, to hear from him. And we do that through prayer. There's no other way. There's no magic pill. There's no silver bullet. It's just prayer. One day there was a dad of a two-year-old son walking through the mall. That sounds like a nightmare, doesn't it? Dad, two-year-old son walking through a mall. And on this particular day, this man's son was in a very cantankerous mood. He was whining and crying. He was throwing the biggest fit. It happens to me sometimes when I have to go to the mall. Maybe men, you know what that's all about, right? Just sort of break down into a puddle when you got to go to the mall. Like, get me out of here. Especially a mall with carpet in it. Good night. The boy's father was frustrated. He was at his absolute wit's end. He had tried everything to try to quiet his kid down. Nothing, absolutely nothing was helping. Not even bribery. His son simply would not settle down and obey. Then all of a sudden, this dad like, got this burst of inspiration. And in an instant, he scooped up his son and held him incredibly tight and close to his chest. And he just began to sing an impromptu love song to his son. Now, uh, none of the words rhymed. And this guy, he could not sing for the life of him. He sang way off key. But he just sang and he just shared his heart with his son through a song. I love you. I'm so glad you're my son. You make me so incredibly happy. I love the way you laugh and smile. You are the best. And the dad just went from store to store with his son just like that. And he wasn't singing in a way that anybody else could hear him. Just his son was the only one who could hear him. Quietly sang off key, making up words that had no rhyme, no reason necessarily. Just pouring out his heart to his kid. And an amazing thing happened. His son just sort of went limp. He relaxed, became incredibly still, basking in this very strange, very wonderful song from his dad. The dad managed through that tactic to finish up all his errands, got everything he needed to, and they were headed across the parking lot to the car. The dad opened the car door, set his son in the car seat, began to buckle him in. And in that instant, the son lifted his head to his dad and said simply, sing to me again, dad. Sing to me again. And church, that, very simply, is prayer. That very simply is prayer. It is just like that. It is a simplicity of heart that allows us to stop and allows us to be scooped up into the arms of our Heavenly Father and it's letting Him sing His love song over us. Allowing us to sing our love song to him. It's not complicated. It's not a program. It's not a new Bible study. It's crawling up into the lap of your heavenly father and letting him sing his love song over you. Letting you drink in him. But it requires that you stop. It requires that you take the accelerator your foot off the accelerator of your life. Stop and drink in him. Just like I'm gonna ask you to do now. You can just take your stuff and set it aside. Just get in a posture of prayer, whatever that is for you, and crawl up onto the lap of your heavenly father.
Father God, here we are. Oh God, that you would sing your divine love song over us. Oh God, that you would enable us, that you would inspire us, that you would move in our hearts, God, to develop this kind of relationship with you. A love affair with the God of the universe. Not just empty religion. Not just going through the religious motions. Not just playing some kind of religious game trying to earn your favor, God. But that our hearts would yearn after you. Hunger after you. Thirst after you. More and more and more of you, God. May we become more and more comfortable in this posture right here, God. Everything around us stopping, choosing to appropriate time to engage with you at this level. So that we can receive love from you and so that we can give love back to you. The give and take of relationship development. We don't pray, God, because we're trying to get anything from you. We pray and we listen and we sit at your feet because we love you. And we love you with our whole lives. We love you with our everything, top to bottom, inside to outside. God, please make us effective lovers of you.